0: Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced. All here for your entertainment.
1: Petrie Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petrie family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend at Master Detective Sherlock Holmes. Petrie. And now let's visit our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor
0: evening, Mr. Bartell. Draw up your usual chair and make yourself at home.
1: Uh, how about a glass of sherry? That'd be very nice. Uh, all ready for tonight's story, Doctor? Yes, my boy. Uh, here, here Here's your sherry. Thank you, sir.
2: My
0: story begins on a June night in 1889. My wife and I had spent a quiet evening at home, I remember. It was just about the hour that a man gives his first yawn and glances at the clock. And the tranquility of the scene was broken by the discordant jangling of our front doorbell.
1: An emergency call for you, I suppose, Doctor?
0: Not exactly, Mr. Bartell. It turned out to be a certain Mrs. Issa Whitney, an old friend of my wife's who'd come to us in trouble. Her husband, she told us, had been missing for 48 hours, and knowing him to be the victim of the shocking habit of taking opium, she was convinced that he was lying drugged and stupefied in some foul den amid the London
1: waterfronts. And I suppose you went out to try to find him? Yes, Mr.
0: Bartell, I did. She told me that her husband had mentioned frequenting a place called the Bar of Gold in Upper Swandham Lane. So naturally, that's where I began my search. I quickly located it, and after ordering my cab to wait, I entered the place. A strange sight met my eyes. Through the smoke-ridden gloom, I could catch a glimpse of bodies lying in strange, fantastic poses as they smoked the pipes of death. Most of the unhappy creatures lay silently, but some muttered to themselves and others talked together in strange, low, monotonous voices, their conversation coming in gushes and then trailing off into silence, each mumbling his own thoughts and paying little attention or heed to the words of his neighbour. As I entered, an attendant hurried up to me with an opium pipe and a supply of the drug and beckoned me to an empty berth. Master may lie here. I haven't come to stay here, my good man. I'm looking for a friend, Mr. Isa Whitney. No one by that name here, Master? Well, I'm going to search this place just the same. Please not to make trouble, Master. Watson. Is that you, Watson? Whitney. Thank heavens I've found you, man. Uh, What time is it? It's nearly 11. Of what day? What day? Friday, June the 19th. Good Lord, I thought
2: it was Wednesday. It is Wednesday. You're trying to confuse me. I tell you it's Friday. Your wife has been waiting two days for
0: you.
3: You're it. mixed up in your dates, Watson. I've only been here a few hours. Three pipes, four pipes. I forget how many. I'll go home with you. Here.
0: I'll, I'll give you a hand. That's it. I have a cab waiting. I must earn some money. Will you settle up for yes, me, Watson? Yes, of course. Here, wait here for me. Stop. Stop calling at my Steve, my good fellow. Who are you and, uh, and what do you want? A
2: word in your ear, please, Oh, sir. Very well. What, what is it? Get rid of your friend and join me outside. Holmes, what on earth are you doing Jeez. here in Stanley? your cab waiting? Yes. Then please use it to send your befuddled friend home in. And if you feel up to it, I should also recommend that you send a note for the cabman telling your wife that you have thrown in your lot with me. I'd be exceedingly glad to have a little talk with you. Yes, of course, Holmes. Splendid. Then conclude your business here, old chap. I'll meet you outside in about ten minutes. Well,
1: earth is
0: he? It's nearly...
2: Is that you, Holmes? Yes, Watson, it's me. Your disguise is wonderful. I'd never have recognized you if you hadn't spoken to me just I now. Disposed of good friend? Yes, yes, cool. Splendid, let's start walking. I have a horse and trap waiting for me in the next street. Oh, what on earth were you doing in the bar of gold, Holmes? Trying to get news of a missing man? You yes, Simon. I'm in the midst of a very remarkable inquiry, and I'd hope to get a clue from the incoherent ramblings of those poor devils back there. Ah, there's the horse and trap under the street lamp on the corner. You'll come with me, Watson. Yes, of
0: course, if I can be of any
2: any use. A trusty comrade is always of use. My room at the Cedars has two beds in it. The Cedars? Yes, that's Mr. Neville St. Clair's house and our present destination. It's near Lee in Kent, about seven miles from here. I'm using it as a headquarters while I conduct my inquiries. Evening, Mr. Holmes. Everything all right? Yes, thank you, John. Get in, Watson. Roger. I shan't need you any more tonight, John. Here's half a crown for you. Look out for me tomorrow, about 11. Mm. Right, on, Mr. Holmes. Good night, gentlemen. Good night, John. Go on. Get up.
0: Well, Holmes, if we have a seven-mile drive ahead of us, perhaps you'll tell me about
2: the case that you're working on. With pleasure, old chap. But first, take the range for a few minutes, will you? I uh, want to remove my makeup and take off my wig and be comfortable. After that, I'll tell you why we are headed for the Kentish countryside at this hour of the night. <laughs> Watson. You have a grand gift of silence. It makes you invaluable as a companion. We've driven four miles and you haven't uttered a word.
0: (laughs) It wasn't easy, Holmes. I've been dying to question you, but I could see that you were
2: preoccupied. Then I shall reward you with a clear and concise statement of my problem. Mr. Neville St. Clair, aged 37, the father of two children and an affectionate husband, is missing. He left his house, the Cedars, near Lee, our present destination, last Monday. Four days ago, eh? Yes. Now, why should an affectionate husband of a happy father disappear? Any any money trouble? Oh, no, I think not. His entire debts, uh, at the moment, amount to £88, pounds, while he has £220 pounds standing to his credit at the capital and Counties bank.
0: Who was the last person to see him
2: on Monday? His wife. But let me tell you the story. He left his house for London rather earlier than usual. He was a businessman then? Uh, Yes, he has an interest in several companies in London. uh, But his wife doesn't know exactly what he does. But to continue, he left for London saying that he would bring his little boy home a box of toy bricks. Now, by the merest chance, his wife received a telegram shortly after his departure, saying that a parcel of considerable value was waiting for her at the offices of the Aberdeen Shipping Company. Aberdeen Shipping why, their offices are in Fresno Street. I drove by them tonight. Exactly, in Fresno Street, branches out of Upper Swandham Lane, where the Bar of Gold is situated. Ah, oh, now I'm beginning to understand. Go on, Holmes, go on. And Mrs. Sinclair took a train for London, and at exactly 4.35 on Monday last, found herself walking past the Bar of Gold. Suddenly, she heard a cry and... Looking up, was horrified to see her husband beckoning to her from a second-story window. Great Scott, was he a prisoner, or was he there of his own free will, do you suppose? Undoubtedly, he was a prisoner. The window was open, and she distinctly saw his face which he described as being terribly agitated. Really? Oh, really? He waved oh, his hand to her frantically and then vanished from the window so suddenly that it seemed to her that he had been dragged back by some irresistible force from behind. Oh, me. One singular point which struck her quick feminine eye was that although he wore the coat he had left for London in, he wore neither collar nor tie. Oh, what did she do? He rushed down the steps into the bar of gold and attempted to go up the staircase leading to the second floor.
0: And I suppose that oriental fellow that I talked to tonight stopped her. Exactly. In fact, he pushed her out of the door
2: and slammed it after her. She rushed down the lane and a few moments later was lucky enough to meet a sergeant and two constables. She
0: took them back with her to the bar of gold, of course.
2: Yes. They went with her to the room in which Neville St. Clair had last been seen. Of course, there was no sign of him. In fact, on the whole floor, there was no one to be found except a hideous, deformed beggar who seemed to live there. From what Mrs. St. Clair told me, it appears that the sergeant conducted the examination quite intelligently
3: your husband up this window, Mrs. Sinclair. I'm positive, Sergeant. And the Lasker swears no one's been upstairs this afternoon. Well, he's probably lying. But let's see what this cripple fellow has to say for himself. Here, you. What do you want with me? I ain't done nothing. Now, you heard what this lady said. Did you see your husband go in this room a few minutes ago? I didn't see nobody, and I've been here all the afternoon. You live Yes. And you swear on oath that no one's been in this room for the last few hours? Yes, I do. Mrs. Sinclair i know that you think you saw your husband but don't you suppose look look on the table just a wooden box ma'am.
4: but i know what's inside it there see
3: well it's a lot of lot of wooden bricks like kids play with.
4: my husband came to london today especially to buy them for our son you can't disbelieve me now sergeant
3: don't think i can Mum. i'll take another look round. where does this door lead to my bedroom you won't find nothing in there oh no, we'll look just the same Oh, bloodstains on this window ledge. Fresh bloodstains. How do you account for that? Well, I don't know nothing about it. And the window overlooks the river, just where the water's good and deep, too. Nice place to tip a body out. Here, come here, you. Yeah, I well, ain't done nothing. You've got bloodstains on your right sleeve. What do you got to say about that? Well, I cut my finger, see? And then I went and opened the window later. Uh, that's how the blood got there. Mm. Do you think I was born yesterday? Let's have a look in this chest of drawers. Hello. Hello, whose clothes are these? A pair of trousers, socks, shoes, hat, everything except the coat, eh? Uh, Mrs. Sinclair, will you come in here, please, Mum?
4: What have you found, Sergeant?
3: These clothes. Are they your husbands, Mum?
4: Yes. Yes, they are. What's happened to him, Sergeant?
3: I'm afraid he's met with foul play, Mum. And this man knows what happened, only he won't talk. I don't know nothing, I tell you. don't you? Well, I arrest you in the name of the law, and I warn you that anything... And, Sir Watson,
2: the sergeant arrested this crippled beggar.
0: No, I'm not surprised. What have they been able to find out
2: about him? Surprisingly little. His name is Hugh Boone. And he's a professional beggar, quite a successful one, I gather. His pathetic appearance attracts great sympathy a shock of orange hair and a pale face that is disfigured by a horrible scar which has twisted the outer edge of his upper lip. And he was the last man to see Neville Sinclair alive, eh? So it would seem. The Lasker downstairs has been cross-examined relentlessly, but he swears that he has no knowledge of the crime. Have there been any, any further deb- oh, developments? Oh, yes, old chap. Yes, huh? indeed there have. The ebbing tide gave a fresh clue. Do you mean Sinclair's body was washed up? No, his coat. What? With every pocket stuffed with pennies and halfpennies. 421 pennies and 270 halfpennies, to be exact. There's no wonder that it had not been swept away by the tide.
0: But a human body was a different matter.
2: Yes, there's a strong eddy between the house and the wharf. It seems likely that the weighted coat had remained when the stripped body had been carried away into the river.
0: The other clothes were found in the room. Why would the body be dressed in a coat alone?
2: We can only surmise, old chap, but uh, supposing that this man Boone... I thrust Neville Sinclair through the window and into the river. What would he do then?
0: Try and dispose of the telltale garments.
2: Yes, that would be logical, wouldn't it? He would seize the coat and be in the act of throwing it out of the window when it would occur to him that it would float and not sink. So he loaded the pockets with coins to make it sink? Quite so. Yes, of course. But, uh... He has little time, for he has heard the scuffle downstairs when Mrs. St. Clair tried to force her way up. He only succeeded in getting as far as throwing the coat out when the police arrived on the scene. Well, that seems perfectly feasible. Well, it'll do as a working hypothesis, anyway.
0: Neville St. Clair disappeared on Monday, and yet we still don't know what, what he was doing in the opium den.
2: What happened to him when he was got there, or, or where he is now? Oh, what Hugh Boone, the beggar with the twisted lip, had to do with his disappearance. Ah, here we are at our destination. Well, there's a light burning. Mrs. St. Clair must be waiting up for you. Yes, poor woman. I hate to return here with no news of her husband. But she's being brave, Watson. Extremely brave. We must do everything we can to comfort her.
4: Watson, I'm so grateful that you were able to come down and help your friend.
0: Oh, I only hope that I can be of some
2: help, Mrs. Sinclair.
4: I see that you have no good news for me, Mr. Holmes.
2: I'm afraid not. No bad. No. Oh,
4: thank heaven for that, Mr. Holmes. Tell me honestly, do you think that Neville is still alive?
2: Well, I frankly, no. Frankly, then, I don't.
4: You think he's murdered?
2: Oh, I don't say that. But perhaps
4: you. Say... And on what day did he meet his death? On Monday. Then perhaps, Mr. Holmes, you can explain how I received a letter from him today.
2: What? Where is the letter, madam? Here. Yeah, let me see it. This is very crude writing on the envelope. Surely it's not your husband's hand? No,
4: but the writing in the letter is.
2: Ah, uh-huh. This letter contained an enclosure.
4: Yes, there was a ring. His signet ring.
2: What does the letter say, Holmes? Dearest, do not be frightened. All will come well. There is a huge error which it may take some little time to rectify. Wait in patience. And it's signed Neville. Mm-hmm. Written in pencil on the flyleaf of a notebook. No watermark. Posted today in Gravesend by a man with a dirty thumb. Mm-hmm. And the flap has been gummed, if I'm not mistaken, by a man who has been chewing tobacco. My
4: husband must be alive, Mr. Holmes.
2: This might be a clever forgery to put us, off, put us off the track. But the signet ring. Yes, it may have been taken from him. But the handwriting and, and then the postmark. Might have been written on Monday and only posted today.
4: I won't be discouraged, Mr. Holmes. Saint-Clair,
2: I have no wish to discourage you. I'm just trying to be practical. If your husband is alive and able to write letters, why should he remain away from you?
0: I I can't imagine. He made no special remarks before leaving on Monday? No,
4: none. Except to say that he was going to buy the wooden blocks.
2: When you saw him at the Bar of Gold in Swandham Lane, was the window open? Yes. Then he might have called you. He might. As I understand it, he gave... An inarticulate cry, a call for help, you thought. Yes, he waved his hands. But it might have been a cry of surprise. Astonishment at the unexpected sight of you might have caused him to throw up his hands. I suppose so. And you thought that he was pulled back from the window? Yes,
4: because he disappeared so abruptly.
2: He might have leaped back, mightn't he?
4: He might have, though I can't think why.
2: One last question. Had your husband ever shown signs of uh, uh, taking opium? Why,
4: no, never, Mr. Holmes. I'm certain the idea would have revolted him.
2: Thank you, Mrs. Sinclair. Those were the principal points I wanted to be clear on. And now, Watson, I suggest we retire for the night. We may have a busy day ahead of us tomorrow.
4: I hope you both sleep well. Good night, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson.
2: Good night, Mrs. St. and Keep up your courage. Good night, Mrs. St. Clair. We must hope for the best. The clouds seem lighter, though I should not venture to say that danger is over. <laughs>
1: You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second. So I'm just going to remind you that when you buy Petri California Sherry, you have a choice of two kinds of Sherry. You can choose Petri Regular Sherry, or if you prefer your Sherry Dry, you know, not sweet, ask for Petri Pale Dry Sherry. They're both fine wines. And if you don't know which you'd prefer, don't buy one, buy two. Buy them both and try them both. And remember this. Petri Sherry is the perfect all-round, all-occasion wine. It's good before dinner, after dinner, at cocktail time, and any time. Just be sure you get Petri. Petri Sherry. Well, Dr. Watson, you and the great Sherlock Holmes certainly deserved a good night's rest. Did you get it?
0: I did, Mr. Bartell. but Holmes made no attempt to sleep. As soon as we retired upstairs, he donned a blue silk dressing gown and then wandered about the room collecting pillows from his bed and cushions from the sofa and the armchairs. With these, he constructed a sort of eastern divan on which he pursed himself cross-legged with an ounce of shag tobacco and a box of matches laid out in front of him.
1: He was all set for a session of thinking, I guess,
0: huh? Yes, my boy. In the dim light of the lamp, I saw him sitting there, an old brow pipe clenched in his teeth, his eyes fixed vacantly on a corner of the ceiling, the blue smoke curling up from him, silent, motionless. So he sat as I dropped off to sleep, and so he sat when I wakened in the morning to find the summer sun shining into the room. The pipe was still between his lips, the smoke still curled upward, and the room was full of a dense tobacco haze. But nothing remained of the heap of shag which I'd seen on the previous night.
2: Watson. Watson. Awake, Watson? What time is it? Uh, twenty minutes past four a bit bed. too old chap i had to think i couldn't allow my brain the luxury of sleeping you game for a morning drive yeah, certainly i'll
0: i'll get rest good
2: <coughs> no one's stirring yet but i know where the stable boy sleeps i'll have the horse and the trap up no time at all oh uh, where are we going to prison to visit hugh boone the man with the twisted lip oh monsieur you're unusually excited what, what's, what's on your mind i want to test a little theory i think Watson, that you are now standing in the presence of one of the most absolute fools in europe I deserve to be kicked from here to Charing Cross, but I think I have the key to the affair now. Oh, where is it? In the bathroom. (laughs) Why, you're joking, Holmes. No, I've uh, just (laughs) been there and removed it. It's in my coat pocket now. Hurry and get dressed, old chap. Then we'll drive over to the prison and see whether my key fits the lock.
3: Good morning, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. Good morning, officer. Good morning. You're a couple of early birds, and no
2: mistake. Yes, Constable, we're searching for the proverbial worm. Who's on duty?
3: Inspector Bradstreet, sir. Oh. Oh, here he is now.
2: Good morning, Bradstreet. Oh, hello, Mr. Holmes. Good morning, Doctor. Uh, Good morning, Inspector. What can I do for you gentlemen? We called about Hugh Boone, the beggar man who uh, is charged with being concerned in the disappearance of Mr. Neville St. Clair. You have him here? Oh, yes, Mr. Holmes. He's in the cells. I'll take you to him. Uh, follow me, will you, gentlemen? Thank you.
0: What, uh, what kind of a prisoner has he been,
2: Inspector? Oh, he hasn't given us any trouble, but he's a dirty devil. It's as much as we can do to make him wash his hands. His face is as black as a tinker's. So he has an aversion to washing, has he? Yeah, Yes, Mr. Holmes. Well, once his case has been settled, he'll have a regular prison bath, and when you see him, I think you'll agree with me that he needs it. And there we are. Yeah, uh, this is his cell. He's still asleep.
0: Good Lord, what a... What a filthy repulsive looking for.
2: Her. Yes, he's a beauty, isn't he? Hmm. Uh, want to go in, Mr. Holmes? Please, Inspector. Ah.
0: Well, he, he certainly needs a
2: wash. Yes, I had an idea that he might. That's why I brought the sponge along in my pocket. Oh,
0: so that was the key that you found in the bathroom.
2: <laughs> you're a funny one, Mr. Holmes, and no mistake... What did you bring a sponge along for? I'll show you. Is there any water in this cell? Hey, in the jug on the table oh, yes, there. yes, yes, yes. I soaked the sponge in the water so, and then applied to the prisoner's face, so.
0: Great Scott, his complexion's three shades lighter underneath, uh, and the scar
2: on his lip has disappeared. What are you doing to me? Now a tug on this mop of red hair, and I think we'll find it's a wig. Yes, come on. That's right. Ah, let me introduce you to Mr. Neville St. Clair. Of Lee in the county of Kent. Good Lord, Mr. Holmes, it's the missing man, all right? I recognize him from the photographs. All right. I'm Neville Sinclair. What am I charged with? With making away with Mr. Neville, say. Oh, <laughs> no, you, you can't be charged with that unless we make a case of attempted suicide of it. Well, since. I'm the missing man, and it's obvious that no crime has been committed, and therefore I'm illegally detained. No crime, but a very great error has been committed. You would have done better to have trusted your wife. It wasn't only my wife, it was the children. I I couldn't bear to have them know that their father was a common beggar. Now, you've exposed me. What can I do?
0: Well, if you leave it to uh, court of law to clear this matter up, sir, you can hardly avoid newspaper publicity, but if you're perfectly honest with us now, I'm
2: sure that the inspector and Mr. Holmes won't be too hard on you. No, Mr. St. Clair. Inspector Bradstreet will, I'm sure, make notes on the information that you give us and submit them to the proper authorities. But now, sir, your story, please. Why have you been posing as Hugh Boone, a crippled beggar with a twisted lip? Well, it's a simple enough story. Some years ago, I was a newspaper reporter. One day, my editor wanted an article on begging in the London metropolis.
0: I suppose you thought the best way to get your facts was to disguise yourself as a beggar.
2: Yes, I'd I'd been an actor in my youth and it wasn't hard for me to adopt a convincing disguise. But uh, that was the point where all my trouble started. On that first day, I sat in the London streets. I found to my amazement that I received no less than 26 shillings and fourpence. Almost as much as your weekly salary as a reporter, I imagine. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Well, you can imagine how hard it was to settle down to arduous work at two pounds a week when I knew that I could earn as much in a couple of days by smearing my face with paint, laying my cap on the ground and sitting still. Only one man knew my secret. Alaska at the Barn of Golden up at Swandham Lane, eh? Yes, Mr. Holmes. hmm Every morning, I would emerge from there dressed as a beggar. And in the evenings, I'd return and transform myself into a well-dressed man about town. The uh, fellow was well-paid for his rooms, and I knew that my secret was safe in his possession.
0: When you got married, you couldn't bring yourself to confide in your wife, I suppose.
2: No, I, I couldn't. My wife knew that I had a business in the city. She little knew what. When you saw your wife from the window last Monday, you quickly changed back into the character of the beggar, I suppose. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Of course and then weighted my
3: coat and threw
2: it into the river. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think there's anything else I need explain, is there, gentlemen? One point, the signet ring that you sent your wife. Well, well, I knew that she'd be worrying, so I gave it to the Lasker at a moment when no constable was watching me, together with a hastily scribbled note. That note
0: only reached her uh, last night,
2: Mr. Sinclair. Last night? Oh, poor Catherine. What a dreadful week she must have spent. Uh, The police have been watching that, Lasker. He probably found it difficult to post the letter for you without being spotted. Yes, I would surmise he gave it to a a sailor customer of his to post. A sailor who chewed tobacco and had a dirty thumb. Hmm? Yes, I I think all the ends are tied off very neatly now. One last question, Mr. Sinclair. Have you ever been prosecuted for begging? Many times, but what was a fine to me? It's got to stop here and now, Mr. Sinclair. If the police had asked this thing up... There must be no more of you, Boone, the beggar.
0: I swear it. And you must tell your wife the truth at once. If you'd done that a long time ago, you'd have saved both of yourselves a very great deal of misery. I shall tell
2: her everything. Well, Mr. Holmes, we're very much obliged to you for having cleared this matter up. (laughs) I wish I knew how you reached your results, though. Well, in this case, my dear inspector, I... um... I reach them by sitting upon five pillows and consuming an ounce of shagged tobacco. I only wish that uh, all my problems might be solved so comfortably. <laughs> well,
1: Doctor, that was some story. <laughs> Imagine arresting a man for committing a murder and then finding out that he's the fellow who's supposed to be dead. Yes, it's a bit bewildering, isn't it? <laughs> you said it. Boy, being a detective sure has its surprises. Nothing like that ever
0: happens to me. Oh, come, 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 come. One would believe to hear
1: you talk that you lead a very uneventful life. Oh, but I do, Doctor, I do. Uh, why, I never get any surprises. Well, Doctor Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes adventure are you planning to tell us next week?
0: Well, Now let me see. Next week, um, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm I'm going to tell you a a weird story of violence and of sudden death that struck without warning. I call it the strange adventure of the uneasy easy chair.
1: Sherlock Holmes adventure was adapted by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story A Man with the Twisted Lip. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, Invite you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying good night for the Petri family. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And now I'm sure our good friend, Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's go in and join him. Good evening, Doctor.
0: Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Punctual to the minute, as usual. Drop a chair and settle down, my boy. Well,
1: I won't settle down too far, Doctor. You have a habit of keeping me on the edge of my chair during most of your story.
0: Just uh, as should be, Mr. Bartell. I hope tonight will prove no exception. So light up your pipe and I'll get on with my story.
1: Doctor, from the hint you gave us last week, it sounded like quite a thriller. How did it begin? On a cold winter
0: morning in 1897, Holmes and I, our breakfast just concluded, sat on either side of a cheery fire in our Baker Street lodging. A thick fog rolled down between the line of dun-colored houses, and the opposite windows loomed like dark, shapeless blurs through the heavy yellow wreath.
1: Another London
0: pea-super, huh, Doctor? Exactly, Mr. Bartell. Our gas was lit and shone its flickering light on the white cloth and glimmer of china, for the breakfast table had not been cleared. Holmes was busy indexing his record of crime, while I was engrossed in one of Clark Russell's fine sea stories. Our morning was not destined, however, to be a quiet one. Shortly after 11 o'clock, Mrs. Hudson ushered a young lady into our room. A young lady who uh, seemed to be in serious trouble. Sit down, are too you, young, lady I'm, I'm Dr. Watson, and, and this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. How do you do, gentlemen?
5: I must apologize for not giving my name to your housekeeper, but I have to be so
0: careful. This
2: is quite understand, my dear.
5: Of course, you're wondering who I am and what's brought me here.
2: My own theory would be that you are Miss Harriet Irving, and that you've come to me to elicit my aid in proving that Mr. Binion did not murder your father. Holmes,
0: what on earth are you talking about?
5: You're absolutely correct, Mr. Holmes, but how did you know?
2: I deduced it, Miss Irving. You're wearing very new and extremely expensive mourning, presumably for the first time, since a few basting threads are still in evidence. You wear no rings, so evidently you are not in mourning for a husband. The only man whose death the papers announced in the past few days and who left a young daughter uh, wealthy enough to purchase such garments is Sir Edward Irvin. And since the police have already made an arrest, obviously wish me to uh, uh, disprove the police theory and intercede for young Binion.
5: Mr. Holmes, you're wonderful. That's just what I want you to do.
0: You will, won't you? Uh, Miss Irvin, I've
2: studied the newspaper reports very carefully. It would seem to me that Scotland Yard has... Um, arrested the right man. Well, I'm very really sorry, but I didn't read the newspaper reports. I have the famous idea what you're both talking about. Then uh, let me bring you up to date, my dear fellow. Hmm? And please hmm. correct me, Miss Irvin, if I make any mistakes. Now, three days ago, Sir Edward Irvin, the father of this young lady, was found stabbed to death in his study. Oh,
0: well, the only entrance what to the study is
2: through an anteroom, where his secretary had been sitting ever since Sir Edward was last seen alive. And the secretary swore that no one had entered or left the study. fact, his name being uh, Binion, I suppose. Yes, under the circumstances, it's hard to see that any other arrest was possible.
5: And yet I know he's innocent, Mr. Holmes. Oh, and
0: how do you know that, Miss
2: Evan?
5: We were in love. We were going to be married. I don't care what the police say. A woman knows these things. Robert Binion did not kill
2: my father. Did your father approve uh, of the engagement? Well, no, not exactly. If one were to be exact, Miss I wouldn't one say that... Uh, Your father absolutely forbade the marriage? Yes, he did. And Inspector Lestrade assumed that was the motive for the murder. Well, sounds logical, I must say. Does your father have any other relatives living, Miss Irvin?
5: His brother, my Uncle Peregrine. He lives a hermit's life in the country. We've seen very little of him in the last few years.
2: Was he left anything under your father's will?
5: No, I was the sole beneficiary. Please help me, Mr. Holmes. If you'll just
0: talk to Robert, you'll know he's not guilty. Oh, there's no harm in talking to him, Holmes. After all, our old friend Lestrade
2: handled the case, and he's made a good many mistakes in the past. Oh, you haven't know. we all, old chap? Well, Miss <laughs> I'll do what I can, but I promise nothing. That's you, Mr. Holmes. Uh, where is your fiancé being held?
5: At Scotland Yard. I talked to him there just before I came to Scotland
2: you. Scotland Yard, eh? Splendid. We can talk to Lestrade at the same time. Watson, your hat... My hat and coat? Uh, precisely, old fellow, your hat and coat. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Holmes and Dr. Watson think they know more than the yard, eh? Hm. Come over here to teach us a business, I suppose.
0: Nothing of the sort, Mr. Of we came over here to make a few inquiries.
2: I tell you, gentlemen, that you're wasting your time. Young Binion is guilty, whatever his young lady may say. Mr. Yes, Mr. Holmes? Uh, what did the autopsy prove? Well, I've got a report of it here on my desk, but uh, it won't tell you nothing you don't know. mm mm-hmm. Death was instantaneous. Caused by some weapon like a long needle, a fine stiletto, or an ice pick. Penetrating the brain at the base of the skull. And no such weapon was found in the room. or on, Mr. Binion. True, sir. But then he had the chance of disposing of it. Just the same, the murder weapon hasn't been found, has it? No, Doctor, but we'll find it. Don't you worry about that. i should like to talk to the prisoner, if you don't mind. Of course I don't mind. He's in the uh, detention cell just down the corridors from here. Uh, Follow me, gentlemen. Has he given you any trouble, Lestrade? Trouble?
0: <laughs> if all our prisoners were as
2: quiet as him, we wouldn't need no guards, Doctor. Nice quiet, young fellow. Hard to realize he's a murderer. A fact that still has to be proven in court, Lestrade. A fact that is going to be proved in court, Mr. Holmes. Well, here we are at this cell. you uh, got visitors, Benyon. Very distinguished visitors.
1: you
2: gentlemen. Uh, my name is Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. I'm sorry to see you in this sight, Mr.
1: Binion. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Then Harriet did come and see you when she left here. I'm so glad. You'll get me out of this mess. I know you will.
2: Even Mr. Sherlock Holmes can't get you out of this one, young
1: fellow uh, Mr. Binion, I promised
2: your fiancé that I'd try and help you. My obvious course is to go to Sir Edward's house and examine the room in which the tragedy occurred. But before I do that, I'd like to ask you a question or two. Ask me any question you want to, sir. It was you who discovered the body, I understand.
1: Yes, Mr. Holmes. Please describe the circumstances. Sir Edward was in his study. I'd been working in the anteroom adjoining. At five o'clock, I went in to say goodnight to him and I found him slumped in his chair dead with blood streaming down the back of his head. Of course, I sent the butler for the police at once. Could anyone have entered that room without your knowledge? No, Mr. Holmes, I never left my desk. And there was no other entrance to the room, save through my office. How about the windows, instead? They were locked from the inside, Doctor.
2: Oh, you don't need to worry. We
1: examined the window ledges, not a mark.
2: No one came in that way. Now, what is your theory of the murder, Mr. Binion? I haven't won, Mr.
1: Holmes. I'm completely baffled. I'm certain that no one entered that room. Yet I swear to you that I didn't stab him. So I can understand the police believing I didn't.
2: Lestrade, I should like to examine the room in which Sir Edward was murdered. What? Well, easiest thing in the world, Mr. Holmes. I'll drive over with you if you like. His house is in night. Oh, you needn't bother, Lestrade. We can, we can quite well go
0: by ourselves, eh? Oh,
2: not a bit of it, Doctor. I'd like to come with you. Oh, well, oh why, enough, Lestrade? You yeah. you're, you're convinced Mr. Binion is guilty? Are you? Won't you, won't you be wasting time? <laughs> not me. <laughs> For once I know you're on the wrong side of a case, Mr. Holmes. And I want to be there and see your faces when you find it out. This is the house, Mr. Holmes.
0: an yes, imposing looking place, I must say. Uh, I imagine, Lestrade, that you still have a police guard
3: inside. Oh, yes,
2: Doctor. There's been a sergeant guarding the dead man's room day and night.
3: Uh, we uh, still haven't found the missing weapon, you
2: know. Yes, gentlemen? I'm Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard. We uh, wish to examine the house. I must see your identification, sir. What are you talking about? I've been in and out of this house half a dozen times. I have my orders, sir. Oh, very well. Now, is Miss Irvin at home? Miss Irvin is not receiving, sir. Great Scott, man, can't you give us any information? There's been tragedy in this house, sir, and the truth of it's not known I'm not answering any questions, but I don't have to. Yeah. Here now, does this uh, police guard satisfy you? Mm. Inspector Lestrade. Very good, Inspector. You may come in. Uh-huh. May I direct you, gentlemen? Oh, thank you. I know this house nearly as well as you do. I think not, Inspector. I've served here for 27 years. Now, gentlemen, if you're not needing me, I'll return to my quarters. <laughs> Bless myself. That's a
3: sinister-looking chap if I ever saw him.
2: Yes, and he knows something. You see, Lestrade, there is a possibility that Binion is innocent.
3: Yes, sir. Uh... I began to see that, sir, when you were talking to the
2: butler.
0: You're being very cryptic. What other possibility are you talking about?
2: The possibility that Binion, the arrested man, is shielding the real murderer. And whom would he be most certain to shield? You mean his fiancée, Miss servant. That's right, old fellow. What? Here we are. Uh, this is the ante room where young Binion worked. And that door there leads into the study where Sir Edward was found. Have you been touched, of course, since the discovery of the crime? Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. Uh, that's why we've had a constable on duty in there night and day. Uh, uh, before the trial, we're bringing experts in to uh, test the room for secret panels or anything of that kind. Let's examine the dead man's room, shall we? Mm. Right you are, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Webster. Webster, get out of that chair and stand up, can't you? You're on duty
0: asleep. Carty. He's dead.
2: Yes. The trickle of blood oozing out from the base of his skull. Well, strike me pink. He's being killed the same way as Sir Edward was. I presume you'll agree that Mr. Binion didn't commit this murder, Lestrade. of course not, Mr. Holmes. He could have done it. He's locked up at the yard. Well, what are we going to do? Ask the butler to come here, will you? Well, right you are, sir. Uh, What do you make of their wound, Doctor?
0: It fit the description of the one that killed Sir Edward. There's a fine puncture here at the the base of the skull. Hudging Holmes, they mentioned a stiletto, (laughs) an ice pick. A wound like this might be caused by one of those long steel hatpins that that women wear.
2: Yes, it's a possibility, Watson, a distinct possibility, and Miss Irvin was wearing a long hatpin this morning, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Glass walls. A little chance of secret panels here, I should say. And the window locked from the inside, eh? Here he is, Miss Roams. Oh, yes. And by the way, what's your name? Travers, sir. You see what's happened, Travers? Yes, sir. I see. The constable's been killed just like my master. Now, tell me, Travers, is this room exactly as it was in Sir Edward's lifetime? Yes, sir. Except that my master was not in the habit of keeping the corpses of policemen in here. don't try to be funny, Travers. Don't you realize you're mixed up in a murder case? I meant no offence, gentlemen. Marks in the fellow. The point of my question, Trevers, was to find out if any of the furniture in here had been moved lately. Not moved, sir. But there has been a piece of furniture added—that armchair the dead man dying in. The same chair in which Sir Edward's body was found. Of course, that's the answer, Trevers. When was that chair delivered, and who delivered it? It was delivered the day before Sir Edward died. It came from Silver Schwartz's antique shop in Bond uh-huh. sir. That came to Putnam Street to the removal of this poor man's body. Seal the room and, for heaven's sake, keep this latest death a secret for a day at least. Within that time, I hope to have your murderer for you. Then we're going... We're bringing my dear chap, to Silberschwanz's antique shop in Bond Street.
0: <laughs> Those old music boxes are quite charming, Holmes, aren't they?
2: Yes, but where's Mr. Silberschwanz? It's probably him. What well, a fine looking old fellow. Oh, Mr. Silver Schwantz. Yes, gentlemen. You are interested in musical books? No, sir, in chairs. Particularly in yes. the handsomely carved chair you delivered to Sir Edward Irvin a few days ago. Ah, yeah, a magnificent specimen. Uh, he's pleased with it. He was found dead in it, Mr. Silver And half an hour ago, someone else was found dead in it also. That chair was one of a pair, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Who live a in Himmel? That's impossible. Please, please, to follow me.
0: I I will show you, it's not, possible. Look. Look at the chair.
1: It's exactly
2: like the same one as uh, as Sir Edward's house. Oh, my friend, but there's such a difference. 15th century Italian, isn't it? Yeah. This is one of a pair of the famous Malipiero armchairs. There are only three pairs in the world, my friend. Of this pair, one, the one I delivered
1: to Sir Edward, is simply a great specimen of the carver's art. This one, it's made. Looks exactly like it, does it not? Exactly. I can't see
2: any difference, myself. You would if you sat in it, old chap. Precisely. That is why I have these cords stretched from one arm of the chair to the other. If anyone were to, to sit in it well, sometimes nothing will happen. But sooner or later, a hand will press hidden spring in the arm here, and death will strike.
0: But nothing happened when you pressed the spring, then, Mr. Schultz? No, I, I, I don't
2: understand. I do. This is the harmless chair. The lethal one was sent to Sir Edward. He sat in it, accidentally pressed the spring, and drove the fatal needle into his brain. Yes, as that poor constable did today. Sir Edward bought both chairs, I presume. Yeah, I would not sell it uh, separately. Then why didn't
0: you deliver both at the same time? He was afraid of the deadliver. He what? asked me to,
2: to keep it here until he found a safe place for it in his home. Mm-hmm. And some devil switched the arm cord from the fatal chair to the harmless one so that you delivered death to Sir Edward. There's a subtlety in this crime worthy of the fiendish maker of the chairs himself. Silver Schwartz. Yeah, my dear. Didn't Malapieri die of being tricked into seating himself in one of his own chairs? Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh Ah, poetic justice. I am much obliged to you, Silver Schwartz. Now I think I know how to trap our killer.
1: Dr. Watson will bring you the rest of his story in just a second, so I'm just going to tell you that... After a good dinner, there's nothing quite like a glass of good Petri California port. Petri port is really a wonderful wine. A deep, hearty red in color and rich and truly delicious in flavor. You know, port wine is actually America's favorite wine. Try a glass of Petri port and you'll know why. Petri port is not only fine after dinner, it's perfect whenever good friends get together. Just keep in mind the name Petri. Because petri wines are good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, this is quite a story you're telling us tonight. So you found out how the murders had been committed, but not who'd been responsible for it. That's quite right, Mr. Bartell. Holmes spent a long time cross-examining Mr. Silverswantz,
0: the owner of the antique store, as to who might have had the opportunity of switching the telltale cord from the fatal chair.
1: And who did have that opportunity, well, Doctor? Well,
0: Mr. Bartell, it transpired that four people might have been responsible. Sir Edward's daughter, the secretary, Mr. Binion, had both been in the shop with him at various times. So had the butler Trevor's. The fourth suspect was Sir Edward's eccentric brother, Peregrine, who it appeared had dropped into the shop the day after the purchase had been made. With this last information, Holmes became very excited and launched into eager preparations, which ended a few hours later when we found ourselves disguised as furniture removers driving a van along a quiet country lane near Dorking as we approach the house of Sir Edward's brother, Peregrine.
2: There's the house, Watson. Ramshackle-looking place, isn't it? Yes, it's extremely, sir. <laughs> Why are you so morose, my dear chap? I've hardly spoken a word on our drive no, down here. you never tell me
0: anything. Why are we trundling off into the wilds of the country disguised as furniture removers and carrying the harmless chair with us?
2: Surely the reason is transparent, old chap? Uh, It's just about as transparent as goth stocking full of hot tripe. (laughs) Oh, my dear Watson. Surely it's obvious that we're up against an extremely cunning murderer. Now, what advantage accrues to him in using the Malapiero chair?
0: An alibi, of
2: course. He's nowhere near the place where the murder happens. Precisely. Apply your logic a little further. Three of the suspects, the daughter, Mr. Binion, and Trevors, the butler, live in the house and would almost certainly have been present at the time of death. Therefore, who gains most by such an alibi? Well, the... the brother, Peregrine. Peregrine. Elementary, my dear Watson. Now you see why we trundled off into the wilds of Dorking.
0: Well, that must be Peregrine standing out of the porch. He seems a funny-looking
2: fellow. Oh, my lead, Watson. Uh, good afternoon, Governor. Uh, you, fellows uh, must have come to the wrong house. Uh, you were uh, Mr. Peregrine, Irvine, ain't you, Governor? Yes. And we come to the right ass. All right, all right, all right. Come on, Bertie. Give us a hand. Uh, right to you are our feet. Well, what, what the devil? You're on. unloading an armchair. Come on, get hold yeah, that of You drop it on my foot, Bertie. Look at it. Easy does it. Come on, Bert. That's I've right. Got it, Alf. I got it. Right. That it. Easy now on the porch here. There, there you go. go. There. Ah. Give me the crickets. And a pretty chair, Governor? Bertie and me was admiring it on our way down here. Oh, blimey. Isn't half a nice chair? Yeah. But who told you to bring it here? Orders, Governor. Mr. Silversnitch, or whatever his name is, <laughs> tell us your brother didn't want the chair and said as our uh, we was to bring it to you. But my brother's dead. Mr. Silversnitch said uh, he, he gave the order before he died. Mind if I sit down in it, Governor?
3: Well, well, of course not,
2: of course not. Kew, <laughs> <laughs> Bit of all right, isn't it? <laughs> Look at him laughing. Who <laughs> oh, wish me old trouble and strife could see me now? trouble and strife oh, yeah yeah trouble and strife that's my wife governor here sit down yourself sir come on go on sit down try it go on go on governor take the weight off your plates of meat what barbaric jargon do you speak what are the plates of meat plates of meat is feet governor that's rhyming slang that's right that's right rhyming slang go on sit down in it go on well, be well there oh. now <coughs> ain't fair. that comfortable yeah, go on run your hands over the arms governor Carbon free. I he just ducking. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, it is. But, but I don't want the wretched thing. There's been some mistake. Uh, so you'd better take it back to London and tell them to sell it. I, I don't want anything of my brother. Jumping, Joseph! Can't see where you don't want to sit in a nice chair like this, Governor. But you, you're the one that gives the orders around here. Come on, Bertie. Come on, get your bag into it. Yeah, all right, Alfie. Let's get back in the van. All right. Yeah, come yeah, on, Alfie. Alfie. Away they, they go. Oh, bless you, Rob, Governor. We don't worry about that sort of thing, do we, Bertie? Of course not, Alfie. Uh, We've had a nice drive in the country, anyhow, didn't that's we? That's right. Let's get these old horses going. Good day, Governor. Uh, good day, Governor. Good, good, good.
0: good. That was a false trail, Holmes. Obviously, you knew nothing about the chair. He thought it was perfectly harmless.
2: And, uh, as indeed it was, that the murderer would have thought it fatal. I've slipped up in my reasoning somehow. Un- fun. Oh, but of course! Oh, what a fool I am! We must get back to London as fast as these tired nags can take us. Come on, get up there! Get up! Uh, what's the next move, Holmes? Back to Zedwood's house, and the staging of a little drama that I'm sure will give us the final answer to this problem. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I've got Miss Irvin, young Binion, and the butler waiting outside. And, mm-hmm. and no one knows we switched the chairs. Splendid. Uh,
0: you're sure that this is the harmless chair, no, Holmes? Of course I
2: am. Look here. I sit in it. So, run my hands over the arms. Yes, this chair is harmless, as every person save one will know. Show them in, Lestrade. All at once, Mr. Holmes? Uh, no, I think we'll fix Irvin and Mr. Binion first. Well, right, you are, sir. Uh, uh, Mr. Irvin, Mr. Binion, uh, come in, please. Very well. Oh, Oh, Mr. Holmes.
1: What's the
5: matter, Miss Irvin? It's just so horrible seeing you there in the same chair where I saw father.
1: Oh, Mr. Holmes, it's a trifle too macabre for you to assume the position of the cops. Please get up. But it seems to be
2: the most comfortable chair in the room, and I do like my comfort when I interrogate witnesses. However, it's hardly chivalrous, is it? Uh, Miss Irvin, please sit down, won't you?
5: I, I, I don't like to sit down in the chair in which
2: oh. Father died. Oh, Miss sir, well, we couldn't bear to see you standing. Very well, then. But don't sit down, Harry. Why not, Binion? What's the matter? Isn't the chair safe? No, no. It's then not perhaps that, that, you I... care to sit in it, to prove that the chair is safe. No, no, I... Sit I...
1: down. Very well. There.
2: Splendid. Curious chair, isn't it, Mr. Binion? I wonder about these carvings on the arms. They look almost as if they might activate concealed springs. I
1: wonder what would happen Even if I. No, for heaven's sakes, Mr. Hunt, you're trying to kill me.
2: Kill you? Then you know how Sir Edward and the policeman were murdered, eh? I,
1: I i knew it must have something to do with the chair. You knew
5: more than that, Robert. You planned it. I remember now that when we went to the shop you... Harry!
0: No, 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 Watson, don't go
2: after them. The start will stop him. In any case, the police are at the door. Oh, 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 I'm tired. I think I'll sit in this rather fateful armchair. So it was young Binion all the time, eh? Yes, and he all but outsmarted me. I reasoned that somehow the murderer must have intended the device of this chair to clear him. And suddenly I saw the real motivation. How better establish his innocence than seeming to be obviously guilty, and yet leaving a trail whereby an astute deduction seemed to clear him.
0: Yes, his idea that Mr. Irvin came to you, he used you as
2: a, as a cat's boy. That's right, Watson. I'm afraid this whole case is a rather humiliating experience oh, for me. Oh, why, why do you oh, think? Well, had arrested the right man in the first place. Oh, 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 my dear Watson, I shall never hear the end of this. Never. <laughs>